0: Welcome to the Maven Nation, Maven Nation, your tactical podcast to getting more, 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 or less. With your host,
1: Michael Andrew. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Michael the Maven here. I am thrilled to have a very important guest with me today. Somebody that I worked with in Puerto Rico. I got to know him very well. We were doing crazy missions for FEMA. Really hair raising logistically nightmarish and I got to learn about Alex Velasquez and what he does for his regular full-time job. And when it when I heard about it, it just blew my mind. You know, I've been working with the Salvation Army for many years on different disasters. And I kept on hearing this term ARC, ARC this. I'd have volunteers come to me and they'd say, Hey Michael, I want you to know I've been through the ARC program. And I had no idea what they were talking about. And so eventually what happened was Alex uh, confided he he basically announced that he, he directed an ARC several I believe I, you can correct me if I'm wrong Alex in a second we'll, we'll get into that and so I finally asked him I said Alex you gotta tell me what is an ARC how does it work and it just really blew my mind now I know this is an efficiency podcast but what I'm trying to do is to bring guests in who are having very meaningful impacts on the lives of others and that's The primary reason i've invited alex alex thank you so much for taking time out of your sunday to join us i appreciate you being here so for beginners what is an arc if you don't mind telling us somebody who's never heard about it what would you tell them
0: well it's a spiritual program it's an adult rehabilitation center which is what an arc stands for and we are a drug and alcohol center that focuses on behavioral changes. We've realized, or the Salvation Army has over the years, that uh, the behavior, the addictive using behavior, is like ninety percent of the problem, and the act of using is only ten percent. So we work on behavior changing. We are not a treatment center. We are we are a rehabilitation center. That focuses on uh, starting uh, new routines and changing behaviors so they can overcome the urge to use.
1: That's interesting. And now, how many ARCs are there in the United States versus like, the rest of the world?
0: Well, in the United States, um, I would have to really guess on that one. Uh, in the Central Territory alone, we have 17. So I'd like to say somewhere along the lines of 45 to 50 in the country.
1: Okay. And, in, and are they in other countries as well, outside of the United States?
0: Uh, from what I understand, uh, they do have one that's kind of out of the country, but still part of the U.S., like in Puerto Rico. Okay. Uh, there's one, and I'm not really sure about the country deeper than that.
1: Okay, so y- you treat for what kinds of addictions specifically? Well, well I- drug. Draw- uh, could be drugs, alcohol. People could have a gambling problem uh, uh, and other addictions. Uh, pornography. Compulsive, uh, pornography,
0: uh, compulsive liars, or people that are just addicted to not being productive, not working and working the system. Interesting. Some trying, trying to survive uh, uh, living homeless on the streets.
1: What is? Uh, you know, I hope you don't mind me getting off. Of it. I just have all these questions that are popping up. What is? What uh, do you? What do you see the most of? So, an adult rehab center is basically a place that people can go to correct their behavior. That's what you're we're talking about. Long term changes, not so much to get them off the the drugs or the alcohol, but to actually change their behavior to make it so they don't they they can walk away from it um what is what do you see the most common in terms of in terms of generally speaking, what do you see more of than not
0: more i'd say more of the uh drug abuse it used to be alcoholism that people getting addicted to drugs and trying to get off of them uh particularly uh the this opioid trend that's sweeping the country in a negative way um so what we have noticed is some people. Learn to stop using it, but they're still living an active type, uh, an addictive type behavior, hmm. and that eventually takes them back.
1: Interesting. Um,
0: but we're like a behavior changing station.
1: So fentanyl, heroin, pretty much all the hard stuff—you you see it all.
0: Yes, sir. Every bit of it: um, meth, all kinds of opioids, pills, and phenamines. I mean, I don't think I've missed one yet.
1: Uh, how PCP. do? Jeez, it's crazy. How do um? How do people find out about you? How do, And what's the process for checking into an ARC? Well, first of
0: all, most people find out about us through word of mouth, and uh, we seem to be one of the world's best kept secrets because there's a lot of people in our own communities that don't even know about us.
1: Yeah, I didn't and, know. Sure.
0: And to check in, the program is free, first of all. Okay. To check in, all one has to do is call and answer six basic questions. Uh, we are a work therapy program, which means we develop routines as we teach certain job skills. Um, we teach them how to get up at the same time every day, have breakfast at the same time, work, take breaks, and uh, so forth. Uh, So we want to make sure people are able to work our program. Some have psychological, emotional issues where they would need to get an evaluation, but I'd say a good 98% of people, they just have to make a phone call and answer six basic questions. We're a little bit leery about uh, sex offenders and pedophiles, so... They won't be accepted uh, mm-hmm. where we get a little concern about people who have a long history of violent behaviors and things like that.
1: I see. So it doesn't cost anything. So they go through the interview, they answer the questions and, and they can check in. And so they basically live there.
0: Yes, sir. It's a program is six months to a year, depending on the indiv- individual. And it's a residential program. Uh, they live in house, they attend meetings, they work. Uh, they get educated, and they also get professional counseling
1: on, mm. on site. Wow! And it doesn't cost them anything. That's 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 amazing. How many? Now tell us a little bit about the ARC that you run. How many? How many? Uh, pay? I don't know what to call them. You know, uh, would you call them a patient, or what? Would, what would you? How do you refer to them? People going through the program. Are, we
0: we call them beneficiaries. People okay. who benefit from our program. And uh, at the present time, we're right around ninety. 92 people in our program. Okay. Uh, however, out of those, uh, 12 or a few more are graduates who are now employees and they're doing like an extended version of the program. We like to hire some graduates because they understand the addiction and the behavior better from their mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. and they help us uh, save other lives.
1: So, if you don't mind me asking, can you give us some percentages in terms of how effective this this program is? How, how like I know you can't track people for an indefinite amount of time, but within a year of leaving the program, how well are they doing or, or not? Do they backslide? Do they get back into drugs?
0: That's a very that's a very interesting question, Mike. Uh, first of all, it's my understanding that the national average is eighteen to twenty two uh, percent uh, of. Um, Uh, success rate. Wow. And that treatment included now in our center Mm -hmm. about uh, four years ago, uh, we had someone by the name of Colonel Herndon who did a a study in uh, measuring up to one year after they graduate. At that time, we had a 74% success rate.
1: Wow. So that means within a year, they're staying off the addictive behavior, whatever. So within a year of graduating from the program, they have not 74%.
0: Right, and that's at that time. Now, that could fluctuate a few percent here and there, and that means they've become productive, they're working, they're back with their families. Uh, many of them, uh, several of them, have remarried their wives after their wives divorced them because oh. of their addictive behaviors. That's incredible. And it's created a very positive
1: ripple effect. So so you're doing something, the ARCs are doing something that is up to you know three or four times more effective than other programs you know that are trying to do the similar thing so the question is is h- how does it work why does it work um the arcs also operate independently that's my understanding and they're actually their own businesses can you tell us a little bit of something about that yeah first of
0: all the way we can uh offer free rehabilitation is because we manage uh family stores thrift stores Okay. Now, in in our location, we have nine of them now. Uh, And uh, the proceeds from those family stores is what pays for the program. And the guys that are learning uh, new behaviors and working assembly lines, sorting, evaluating goods, are the men in the program that helps us feed those stores. So they're earning their own way Hmm. uh, by helping uh, raise the money to pay for it. And it just makes it mean a lot more
1: to them. That's fascinating. What a, what an interesting business model that you you're taking in these beneficiaries who need help, and turning them into essentially productive employees by uh, changing some of their behaviors. I'll ask some questions about that, how that happens. But you, so the exchange is that they get uh, free treatment, and the ARC gets essentially free labor is that basically it's that sounds like a great trade, but is that how is that how it works
0: it it, it kind of works like that it actually costs us more to have them mm-hmm. uh, do the work than it would employees
1: I see because you got there's uh, a lot of things involved you have to uh, house them you have to feed them you have right counseling sessions housepers. for them yeah mm-hmm. I see
0: yeah there's there's a lot more involved it's more about developing uh the routine so in the normal world we would hire one employee to do a particular job and we may have three beneficiaries doing that job in a program. Mm, I see. uh, Just so they can learn it and have some sub value.
1: In, In terms of their productivity, I'm, you know, I'm an efficiency nut job. You know, I'm always thinking about efficiency. So when you get new beneficiaries into the program, there's a learning curve for them. They have, they have to jump through some hoops in order to figure out, you know, first of all, what are they doing? But they may have some, functional problems because they're coming off an addiction they may be thinking about drugs you know and you're in trying to work does you does that run into do you do you see that where you get somebody that can't do the the work that you're asking them to do at the uh, ARC
0: Yes sir Mike there's been times where people have come to our front door and I stand in front of them with my arms open Wondering if they're going to fall, am I going to need to catch them? Jeez. When that happens, we send them to a local hospital uh, mm-hmm. to get evaluated, to get checked out. And and uh, sometimes we have to put them on a light, a light duty, like answering a phone or things mm-hmm. like that, until they get their strength back.
1: Interesting. And
0: then, then we move them into other
1: departments. I see. You've done this, how many... How long have you been doing this? Tell us a little bit about some of the statistics that you're comfortable sharing. How many? How long have you been doing this? How many people have come through your program? Uh, just for ballparking, you know, I just I'm just curious. I never asked you that. I'd have to say,
0: over the years, I've had over five to seven thousand men come through our program. Holy cow! And um, I myself came into the program. Uh, nearly 20 years ago. Wow.
1: Uh, I'm
0: in my 20th year now. Jeez. And I've seen an awful lot of miracles happen. And now out of those, you think about the 74% success rate, even if it was 64, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of changing for society. A lot of crime rate going down, a lot of families getting reconnected. It's just a huge
1: positive impact. Oh my gosh. You're, You're saving lives. I mean, essentially if the behavior leads them back to drug use in, in some of these uh, types of narcotics are lethal. You know, you look at the the heroin and the fentanyl epidemics killing people because it's, uh, it's such a potent drug. You know, I don't know a lot about drugs, but you're basically saving lives where you, in a sense, it's almost biblical where you have this person who is so addicted to a drug that they can't make, they can't think straight. All they can think about is their next hit and for so many people they go through that until they die, you know, they, you know, accidentally commit suicide and an overdose or whatever. So in, in my opinion, I think what you're doing is amazing. It is, it is truly awesome that, you know, you know, looking at what we did in Puerto Rico, I, I can't count how many guys that we served with and worked with, you know, you yourself said that you had gone through the program, had gone through the ARC some of the hardest working volunteers I've ever worked with. No, I mean, they're all business, no joke, ready to go, you know, long, hard days, terrible conditions sometimes. And, and, um, you know, I would have never would have known any of them had been, had been a drug addict at some point, unless they had told me, you know, and that, that blows my mind is that you're transforming men's lives, you know, and I guess, are there women that come through the program too?
0: Well, we do have some facilities that have women and men, and we have some that are all women. And here in our in our community, we're uh, working on some fundraising so that we can um, remodel a wing of our building for women. That's very mm-hmm. interesting that you mentioned that, Mike, because women uh, they get their children taken away oftentimes. And if they don't have a long rehabilitation uh, process to go through, a residential one, they may not ever get their children back. Hmm. So, and then those children end up becoming a product of the same type of environment and becoming and having the same issues that their their moms had. Uh, So, we're really heading in that direction uh, full speed.
1: So, something I have to ask you is why do you think? your program works versus the other programs that are getting 20% success rate. What is the magic? How does it work?
0: Well, there's two master ingredients. One is the Salvation Army. We truly love the people that we're serving. It's not fake.
1: Yeah, I believe that. And,
0: And they see that and they realize that. So we earned our trust. And then they follow the instructions. Everything they've tried didn't work. Mm -hmm. And when they see somebody love them like that, uh, they figure it's worth a try. And that's one ingredient. The other one is, you have to believe in a power that's greater than yourself because you've tried everything you can to stop using drugs or alcohol. Mm -hmm. And that power we introduce is God himself. And so... We believe that the Lord is guiding us to help reach out to his children. And scripturally speaking, in the Bible, it says, Bless my children, and thou shalt be blessed. Which is why we believe we're still growing. Mm-hmm. 127 countries large so far.
1: Mm. Are there that, that's, that's a very interesting point. Uh, the, the thing that sticks out to me is the first part is is that they feel loved because I don't think they're, they're able to get that in most clinical rehab places. They, you know, they're checking in as a patient, you know, the doctors and nurses aren't, you know, making them, probably making them feel loved or worthy or, you know, or, or, um, you know, wanted in life. And I think depression has a lot to do with addictions, certain kinds of addictions. And the second part of that is bringing, you know, God into it. Is, is the belief that there is a higher power and there is a creator and there is somebody who <clears throat> loves and cares about them beyond anything that we're able to understand. And so those, I think those two things are definitely very different than any other program that I've heard of. You know, I don't know if, uh, are, do you, do, are there any other rehab centers that, that introduce those two aspects love and a creator and heavenly father? Sure, there are
0: some across the country, of course not as big as we are, uh, that do the same thing. We have one here in our local community uh, that I believe uh, just expanded to like 15 beds. Mm. The problem is there isn't enough of us, Mm -hmm. but we're heading in that direction. And when another rehabilitation center opens with that same concept, we don't see them as a competition or the enemy. Mm-hmm. We do our very best to support them as it is about saving lives.
1: Yeah. It, <clears throat> it's interesting to me that the thing that you, you've worked out is um, you've given that you give them opportunities to work and to get on a schedule and to wake up at a certain time. And what are some of the other habits, good habits that you teach them? So they, they get into a schedule. It, what about grooming or? how to talk to people or shake hands. Do you go into all that stuff or?
0: Yes, sir. Absolutely. A firm grip. When you shake hands, uh, they have to be clean shaven. Their hair has got to be a certain length and we want them to dress neat. We teach them how to do their own laundry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a free laundry, uh, f- facility. They have to watch their language. We're a very structured program. Uh, and there's, uh what we call a green sheet, that's a disciplinary note. For example, if you show up one minute late to a meeting, you get this green sheet, and your case goes up into like a review board. Uh, we call it case conference, where we review all the men in the program once a week. And we decide on a discipline, which can mean a week restriction. It's like being grounded. You can't go outside anywhere for a week. Hmm. Or or no television, it's not meant to be used as a weapon. It's meant to be used as a tool mm-hmm. to help them develop the routine of being on time or early, looking sharp. The better groomed they are, we consider it as a PMT, uh, positive mental therapy. They start feeling better about themselves, and they start believing in themselves that they can do it. Mm-hmm. That's why we strict we stick to all of those strict policies and everything, which eventually becomes routine in their lives.
1: That's interesting. And so, if they go through this for six months to a year, they get into the habit of hygiene. And they have to be on time. If they're one minute late, that's that's something that is very important in the in the normal world where people are you know showing up to work is being on time. Uh, let me ask you something. What what do you see as the needed component for a beneficiary to, to be able to make it? I'm sure you've had people not be able to go through the program or they get kicked out. In your opinion, what is it that they need to have in order to see it all the way through from their side?
0: Well, for the most part, they kind of have to reach a point where they're just sick and tired of being sick and tired, if you can understand that. Yeah. they lose They lose great jobs. They lose... Uh, so many of them had scholarships in school and lost it because of their addictive behaviors. Mm-hmm. They lose their families, their children, their marriages. Their own parents don't want to talk to them any anymore, and that breaks them down. And uh, when this program, uh, when they become aware of it, they see it as their final chance or one more opportunity that may work. So they pretty much have to reach a bottom Mm -hmm. for the most part. They really have to want to do it
1: Mm -hmm. in
0: order to make it.
1: Can you see that when they come in, the ones who want it versus the ones who don't?
0: Yes, I can. But what's really amazing is we see many that don't want it that eventually change and then go after it.
1: Huh. Interesting.
0: And, And that's where the increased success rate comes from.
1: Hmm. So, Alex, I, I want to ask you some more personal questions. You have a very interesting background. Can you tell our listeners how you how you found the Salvation Army? Uh, it's, it's an incredible story in, in terms of the contrast. It doesn't get more contrasty if that's a word. You, you know, we're talking about somebody who's who's directing an ARC. He's, he's saving men's lives. Where did you start in all this?
0: Yeah. I started using drugs and alcohol at thirteen. It was peer pressure. Hmm. I got I got addicted. Eventually, ended up in a street gang, and uh, later in years, ended up uh, being the street gang leader, selling drugs and everything else. And and it was a miserable lifestyle. There was a lot of money involved, but if I had to describe it with one word, I would use the word misery. Hmm. And I ended up getting uh, going to jail for an old speeding ticket. I uh, failed to appear in court, so they incarcerated me for 30 days until I went to traffic court. During those 30 days, my friends stole everything I had. They, they thought I wasn't going to get out because I had a large quantity of drugs in my car, hmm. which wasn't searched at the time. Um, and... When I came out, I ended up homeless. I lost everything because they took it all. I had nowhere to go. And I was panhandling one day in front of a, a Cub Foods grocery store
1: in the middle of the
0: night. It was so cold that we were getting kicked out, of homeless people getting kicked out of hospital waiting rooms and so on. And I, I was freezing. And people were looking at me and saying, Get a job. I'm like, who in the world's gonna hire me smelling, haven't showered in a month, and where are they gonna call me? And somebody came up to me and said, Son, you don't have to live like this. And I said, I really don't have a choice. I don't have a way out of this. Well, this this man had the courage to take me in his car. So a Salvation Army rehabilitation center, where they spoke to me and I answered the six questions, and they offered me a meal, they offered me clean clothes, a shower, and a place to stay, and that was n- nearly twenty years ago, and I haven't left since. That's when the miracle started to happen. That's incredible. It turns out that it turns out that the man who offered me that was on an advisory board for the Salvation Army Rehabilitation Center. Wow. So, so he got to see the miracle take place in my life as he came to visit the board once a month. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll never forget him. And that's how it all started for me.
1: Was that your first introduction to the Salvation Army?
0: Yes, sir. Other than putting change or dollar bills in the kettles, the bell ringing kettles, which mm-hmm. everybody's so familiar with, um, people think that's who we are. No, this is who we are. Rehabilitation. It's, that's how the Salvation Army started.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, I didn't even know, and I'd been working with with the Salvation Army in disasters. And I think with a brand name, the Salvation Army. You know, we we uh, we see the red kettles during the holiday season. We we see the big red kettle in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. You know, but beyond that, there's not a lot of I don't know good great marketing in terms of what the Salvation Army does but now you know hopefully everybody listening to this realizes that ARC's are absolutely incredible because they they're they're reforming it's giving people a second chance at life um in terms of homelessness do you get, do you get people cut well I, I don't know maybe a lot of homeless people have drug problems i don't know is there is a correlation between drug use and being homeless, do those always go hand in hand? or what do you, what, What's your thought on that?
0: My thought would be, my opinion would be about 95 to 97% of the time. However, people do end up homeless. Some do uh, as a result of circumstances. A house fire, he lost a job, particularly during the Great Recession that we're just coming out of now. Mm-hmm. And our center also offers them help. And they can come in, and spend six months to a year working on getting themselves back together with the counseling and everything else. And uh, one interesting point, uh, Michael, is that um, for the last four years in our ARC, unless they're on Social Security or disability for some reason, 100% of our graduates leave our building with a job. Wow. And productive members of society.
1: So if I understand you correctly, if somebody is in a, in a tough position, they're just homeless, maybe if they even don't have a drug addiction, they could come into an ARC, get on their feet, learn the skills they need to, to get a job, and is it, am I understanding you correctly, they don't necessarily have to have it? Absolutely. Wow. Did not know that. That's amazing. They're
0: all God's children.
1: That's incredible. You think about the um there's lots of homeless uh you know, especially here in Hawaii, we have we have a homeless problem because it's it's very easy to uh you know, the temperatures are warm, it doesn't get cold. But I'd imagine in cities where it's very, very cold, um that would be really tough, you know, in terms of uh trying to, as you said, find a way out. You know, if you can't bathe and clean up and um that's amazing. I did not know that that the ARCs would also help homeless people who are struggling without addictions. At what point, I'm sorry, were you going to say something?
0: Uh, uh, Yeah, this homeless uh, situation, uh, there is a problem in their lives. Uh, I mean, uh, when they lose their home or lose a job, they're on their face. And it's not just the individual that we're helping. You know, the Lord uses us to get that individual straight. So it can have a ripple effect onto their families and uh, so on after that to become productive members. And But we are not a shelter. Mm-hmm. And when they come in homeless, they have to be willing to commit to the full program so that we can finish the job,
1: mm-hmm.
0: help them get on their feet.
1: And it's a very important distinction that it's not a shelter but an actual program. Um, but I think there's, you, you know, I don't know what the demographics are on, on homelessness or what their reasons are. It does sound like a high percentage of them are on drugs, but if you're homeless and on drugs, wow, what a, what a terrible position to be in, how, how difficult that would be. I just can't even imagine it, you know, in terms of the hopelessness and, and, uh, it explains why a lot of people end up dead. But I think, you know, something that I wanted to do with this podcast is put it out there. You know, this is, this is a worldwide podcast. Anybody can listen to it you guys, you know, anybody listening can share if you don't if you were not familiar with an ARC and you know somebody who's struggling, here's a program that doesn't cost anything at least in the United States that somebody can check into and absolutely, you know, turn their lives around. You know, I have a brother who who struggles with drug addiction. I don't even know if he's been through an ARC, but I'm going to ask him. And um you, you know, we we love uh this particular sibling, but he's, he's never been able to beat it. You know, he's never been able to turn his life around. And I I wonder, you know, would it work? And and there's probably just about everybody listening to this knows somebody who's struggling with drug addiction in, in with a 70 plus percent rate, it's worth a shot, you know, absolutely. So anything that I can do to spread the word in terms of what the ARCs are and how they work, uh side question for you, Alex, is is personally. So you were going through the program, at what point did you decide that you wanted to, to uh become an officer for the Salvation Army?
0: Well I was I was a graduate of the program and I was hired to ring bells that went into it at one point uh for the Salvation Army. I just needed a job to get on payroll to support myself. Mm-hmm. And then they made me a driver to drive bowringers around, and it was very relevant in my street gang days. You drop people off with kettles, they collect money, you pick them back up. (laughs) There was some relevancy to it, so I was (laughs) able to relate. The Lord did say he'll take what you use in the darkness and use it for the light. And and I had some food service experience, and they hired me uh, to run uh, their feeding program on site. Mm. And um, then they had some doctrine classes to teach their spiritual doctrines to show us where in the Bible, the doctrines come from, you know, the core beliefs of the church mm-hmm. and it was voluntary and I signed up. Interesting. I couldn't, I couldn't believe my life could change that much. So anything they had to offer, I wanted to try it.
1: Yeah. It's working.
0: And uh, After taking that class and becoming a Salvation Army soldier, which means I've chosen the Salvation Army to be my home church. Mm -hmm. And we don't knock other churches. We go after people who are unchurched. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, That's one evening I came home uh, to my room uh, at the center, and I was looking out the window, and... uh, this vision of becoming an officer I was kind of depressed because my family wasn't sold on the idea that I wasn't going back to using and uh, I was blessed with this vision of what my life would be like as an officer and I seen it as a calling Mm -hmm. that's God calling me yeah so I I went let it be known and went through this lengthy process and a couple years later uh, got accepted and went into seminary training Hmm.
1: And so so how long is the seminary training? And, and then there's a cadet school. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yep, the cadet school is seminary training.
1: Okay, okay.
0: We use the, Salvation Army uses the ranking system, officers and all of that, because we're so large. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, a captain means you haven't been an ordained minister more than 15 years yet. Mm. After 15 years, you become a major. I see. Uh, so that's the only reason they use the ranking system. to have a little bit more order uh, to this worldwide movement. And the seminary, they teach us Bible, church business, how to fundraise, but most of all, how to love people into the kingdom mm-hmm. and reach out to the, to the most people with the most need. Uh, so... We can guide them to Christ and help them change their lives.
1: That's incredible. That's
0: that's who we are. That's what the Salvation Army is. Without discrimination, it's in our mission statement.
1: Yeah, it's some, something I've absolutely seen everywhere I've gone. Is there's the aid is given without any kind of discrimination to religion, sex, political preference, any any of that. It doesn't matter. Uh, God's children are are all the same and created equal. And I even remember in Puerto Rico, occasionally we'd have people trying to cut in line, you know, we had these long lines of distributions and, uh, we would tell them to get and get at the end of the line. Cause we're, we're all equals here. Everybody's the same. Um, so tell us a little bit, you know, I just as, as a side note, I'm curious, how did you, you know, in Puerto Rico, we, we get all kinds of different, uh, volunteers with different backgrounds. And I really don't know anything about them until they come in, but tell us a little bit about Puerto Rico and what you enjoyed down there.
0: Well, Puerto Rico, first of all, uh, I've had family in Puerto Rico, and I've been there with my family several occasions. However, when I was deployed to do disaster relief there, which is when where I met you, um, I was I was devastated by the devastation of what I've seen, uprooted trees, buildings thrown around bridges that have collapsed it really hurt me and I had family there that I haven't been able to get in in touch with at all I didn't even know if they were alive Mm -hmm. so when I was there of course after work one day they let me go check on my family and I found them and I started to realize how powerful uh the need was, it was an enormous need. There were people that were hungry. There were elderly women that said after the storm, their husbands went out to clean up and they had heart attacks and died. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And They couldn't mobilize them. They had to cremate them because they had no power. They had to do it quickly. But the interesting thing was it didn't matter how much they needed water. When we handed them a case of of water they were so quick to share it with somebody else regardless of how much they needed it themselves and the food they were so grateful and the small children who just looked confused because they didn't know what was going on when we were distributing food and they looked at us as if they were looking at another parent somebody who really cares and they could see the love in us that we were sharing with the Islanders. And it didn't matter how difficult it was to get to them. We were willing to do whatever we had to do to make sure their need, their needs were met. And they were so grateful. And that gratitude is something I'll never forget, Mike.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I think if you were there, I think my frustration – in Puerto, you know, in Puerto Rico with logistics is, is we very quickly realized that we wouldn't be able to help everybody. You know, it's that starfish analogy of the guy throwing starfish back in the sea and in, you know, everybody has different expectations in terms of what they think they can or should or will do in a disaster, but you have to be content with focusing on what you can do and helping people within that framework and being satisfied with it. Because as you saw for yourself. Puerto Rico is a logistical nightmare. And, um, it it was so difficult to, to know that there were more people out there, but you kind of had to like separate that and just say, we're going to focus on who we can help. And that was just what an incredible experience to, to be with them, to meet them, to see them, to feed them. You know, it's something that we're instructed to do in, in the Bible, you know, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. And, um, it was so fulfilling that when i came back normal life seemed like a bunch of minutia you know you got to run these errands and and if you're ambitious now you're going to chase money and i've i've come to the conclusion that chasing money is never going to make anybody happy in the end it's that's not where happiness comes from you could you can make millions and millions of dollars and still be completely unhappy you know in in the uh And the greatest happiness that I felt in many years was feeding the hungry. It's interesting how it works. And I would imagine you feel that every day in your job. What's the most benefit? What gives you the most satisfaction in what you do?
0: Watching the miracles take place in the lives of many. You cannot compare the value of witnessing that to any amount of money. Yeah there's just no comparison. We'd much rather reach out to those in need than to have a bank account that's stacked. We find more peace and joy in doing what we're doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's meaningful. It's impactful. And, and, you know, you can go out and, and make all kinds of money and have zero impact on society. You know, it's like, how many people have done that? How many people have chased money their whole lives? And in the end, they don't, they didn't really, they didn't change anybody else other than themselves, you know, and and so that's something I think about and I'm struggling with a a lot right now, you know, I love service, I think it's very therapeutic, and even a lot of the guys that you brought, you brought some guys with you uh, from the, who had gone through the ARC, it was the same thing, you know, they, there were a couple of them, it was their first time, am, am I correct, and they just loved it.
0: Yes, all three of them I brought, that was their first time.
1: They did great, and and, and um, I remember many times them saying, you know, how exciting and how thrilling it was. Service in di- in disaster zones for me is just is one of my favorite things to do. But you get to experience this even on a deeper level because it's not just feeding people. You're actually, uh, you know, you've I- I've heard people call you Captain Midas. Have you heard that, Captain? What? Captain Midas.
0: Midas, you know, I I have
1: heard that. I yeah I've it's heard. I've heard a few people refer to you as, you know, this mythical person who touches things and they turn to gold. What an incredible gift and opportunity that you have is to take drug addicts, people who are essentially hopeless, not only give them hope, but give them a new life and they go out and they get jobs. And many of them, uh, as you said, remarry or they get, they start families and it really pieces their life together. So Alex, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have any other thoughts? Where can we where can we learn more about ARCs? Is there a website that my viewers can go to?
0: Yes, you just go to um, uh, depending on the territory you're in, you're in. Which yours would be the West. It would be um, www.uswsalvationarmy.org. Uh, and then um, just scroll through the website, and you'll see links for adult rehabilitation. Or you can do the sub searches, okay? You can get addresses and
1: and see where they are. So, if, if my listeners know somebody who has a drug problem, I'll put the link on the MavenNation.com. You guys can go to the to those links, check out the ARC. So, if you know somebody that has a drug problem and they're really struggling to change. Here is a a tremendous, incredible opportunity. What a gift to be able to to have something. It doesn't cost anything. It's amazing. All it takes is is a willing heart. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you taking time out of your Sunday to visit with us. I'm so happy and excited to have had this opportunity to talk to you. Is there anything else you want to say to our listeners?
0: Yes. If you know somebody out there who is really struggling and suffering, with drugs, alcohol, homelessness. Please bless us at the Salvation Army with the privilege to help them. And Mike, it's been a real honor. Thank you so much for the invitation.
1: Thank you, Alex. Just amazing. What a what an incredible— you know, I have different people come onto the show and, and sometimes they'll they'll you know they'll have uh you know things for my listeners. You know, in terms of different kinds of opportunities and gifts and stuff. But I, I don't think this is a very difficult one to top. To 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 hear your sincerity and to uh, let's connect the dots and, and get people who who need help in, into the right place and, and change your life. So again, thank you so much, Ox. Thank you for your service in Puerto Rico. You were amazing there as well. And I look forward to having a great friendship with you in the future.
0: Yes, indeed. Thank you, Mike. All right.
1: Thank you guys for listening and we will have many more great interviews coming soon and I will see you next time.